next week we begin our uh, all church experiment for Lent as uh, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. And so the 40 days leading up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday Lent uh, begins this week. Uh, our theme for this year, uh, as you've been hearing us talk about, is that we're going to be giving up false beliefs for Lent, like the tradition of giving up chocolate for Lent, except we don't want you to go back to it after Lent is over. We want to give up some false beliefs that aren't serving us and leave them behind for good. Um, each week, uh, as we have mentioned, we're going to have another false belief in focus, and we have selected six specific beliefs uh, very carefully for these six weeks of Lent. Uh, we put out on social the dates that uh, these are going to be. I have them here up on the screen for us. We're going to be talking about the blueprint view of life next week. We're going to be talking about the Bible as an idol on March 13th. We're going to be talking about romance will complete you on March 20, purity culture on on March 27, Christian Supremacy on April 3rd, and Wrath and Punishment on April 10th. All of these are false beliefs that we've carefully selected for this time that uh, we're going to try to be giving up. We're going to try to uh, replace with alternative beliefs that will serve us better going forward. Excuse me. The last two Sundays, as we've been building to this, we've been setting some different framings for how we want to do this. So we talked a couple of Sundays ago about uh, making sure that we are taking a loving look at ourselves as we are doing such hard things as leaving false beliefs behind. That might mean looking back at uh, parts of ourselves from long ago that were, we don't want to uh, repeat, but uh, we want to look back on those, uh, those younger versions of ourselves with love when we see this. When we want to look back on ourselves and say, oh, I, I care for you, that, that place that you were in that wanted to believe X, Y, or Z. So we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about how any attempt to try to leave behind something as hardwired into us as beliefs is not going to be an easy thing. We don't just think ourselves into new ways of believing. We have to live ourselves into new ways of believing. And so we talked about that last week. If you'll allow me to have one more framing for this Sunday uh, to, to bring us into what we're going to be spending the next six weeks on as a church, uh, I want to do that. And uh, if you'll allow it, I want to do some like old fashioned preaching this morning uh, for that. So uh, forgive the sermon, uh, but hopefully you get something out of it. So. Uh, as I've mentioned, we've chosen these six beliefs really carefully. We're not doing this whole church experiment to just give up any belief for Lent, as if it doesn't matter what the beliefs are that we're giving up. No, we have chosen these six that I have on the screen right now for us uh, because they are specifically uh, things that we believe bring uh, misery and despair to uh, modern life. Uh, and not just for individuals, but they bring misery and despair in a way uh, that is culture-wide. The, these things contribute to what keeps misery and despair in the air that we all breathe. And some of us are forced to breathe that polluted air more than others. There's a word for that. It's injustice. And so we are, uh, what, what this is important for us to take into account as we begin this experiment. This is not just about you and I as individuals. This has a larger social and political impact, if you will. The, the way of Jesus has a social and a political significance, not, not political in the partisan sense. Like in America, we hear the word political and we immediately think about left versus right or whatever because our political system is so broken. What I mean by political is just in the sense that 
what Jesus is about has says something about power and society. How are the most powerful kept accountable and how are the least powerful accounted for? Uh, so in, in the 1970s, uh, a theologian that we've referred to a number of times here, James Cone, who's considered the father of black liberation theology, suggested in the 1970s, mind you, that what most people call, uh, who, most people who call themselves Christians in America believe in is not actually Christianity. He called it white religion. White religion uses Christian imagery. It uses Christian sources like the Bible, but it's fundamentally not Christian because it does not account for the social and political significance of Jesus's mission and message as we're talking about here. It believes that saving a soul has nothing to do with saving a body. It believes that, uh, or it refuses to challenge the powerful and turns a blind eye to the powerless with its individualism and triumphalism. That's white religion. And it fails to account for the hardest experiences of life, the sufferings of people, especially oppressed peoples, with its emphasis on escapism to the afterlife. That is what James Cone called white religion in the 1970s. And it bears a great many resemblances to much of what many of us feel we might need to leave behind or give up during Lent. James Cone understood that gospel this term to describe the uh, four accounts of the Jesus uh, ministry uh, that we have in the New Testament of the Bible, James Cone understood that that term gospel was actually a political term at first, and it was co-opted by the early Jesus movement. But it was a term in the Roman Empire when they would come and take over a new territory, they would issue a gospel, a good news to say that you can now participate in what was called the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. We, we are holding the, the empire together, all of these disparate peoples with Roman peace. And Roman peace, of course, did not mean peace at all. It meant that any dissent was swiftly stopped with violence by the might of the empire. And that's how they achieved their so-called peace. And as we have returned to over the years, many times here at Brownline, this shines light on one of my favorite, but one of the most baffling statements from Jesus. There's this little line that kind of seems like it's totally counter to everything else that Jesus says uh, in, uh, in the gospels. Jesus says, do not think that I came to bring peace. No, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And the reason that's one of my favorite lines is because it, 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 yes, it's confusing at surface level, but if we can take Jesus's coded language when he uses the word peace, we realize what his, what his original hearers would have understood when he uses that word. When you are part of the Roman Empire, peace is a coded word that's thrown around and it actually means violence. And when, when, like, just like when we today, we, we throw out coded phrases like 9-11 or Black Lives Matter, and those are just words, but they mean so much more when we share the same context. When there's, 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 there's amounts of things behind those words that we hear it and we think, oh yeah, you're talking about a lot more than just three words, Black Lives Matter. And so the coded language that Jesus uses here when he says, do not think that I came to bring peace is packed with significance. He is directly subverting the uh, way of doing things in the Roman Empire and saying, I am not here to bring about peace 
through violence. I am doing something different. The translation is you think I came to bring like peace to the status quo? No, I came to tear down the status quo. I came to bring a sword to the status quo. And I wonder if this line from Jesus, as confusing as it is on the surface, if we can get into the minds of the original hearers of Jesus' words, I wonder if this is the thematic Bible passage for this Lent for us. You think that we just are going to hear like doing the status quo of what it means to believe in America? No, we're going to bring a sword to that. We are going to move to something that Jesus is driving us toward in the most subversive, but the most life-giving way. In the same way that Jesus offered specific critique of the Roman Empire and their so-called peace, Roman peace, we feel it's important now to offer specific critique of our so-called American peace. The American false default religion that anybody who spends any time in America, whether believer or skeptic or somewhere in between, we just sort of adopt by default. We need to bring a sword to that. And that is what we plan to do over Lent. So as I'm getting preachy today, I've been playing with ways to try to capture what do I mean by false American religion? There's a lot of um, maybe connotations that you might have when I say something like that. Uh, we use the picture of like, in God we trust on the dollar bill as the image for this week. Like, so maybe there's something there that's like, you know, uh, getting at what we mean by the false default American religion. Uh, there's a lot of ways that, um, and there's probably a lot of ways that you all could help uh, expound on this further. But I want to suggest, um, I want to suggest four things that I think uh, really, really helpfully uh, get us at unpacking what we want to leave behind, what we want to, we want to unpack false default American religion. I think of it as kind of a combination of four forces that are all supported by these beliefs we're going to talk about uh, over Lent. And the four forces, I have them again up for you on the screen here, are economism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and magical thinking. On biblical terms, we might call these four things the principalities and powers of today. I wonder if this language from St. Paul and his letter to the Ephesians is familiar to you. It's one of the most uh, famous passages from uh, Paul's writings in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, Paul is pushing uh, back against uh, physical violence that was breaking out due to religious quarrels in, uh, in Ephesus, in the, the town that he's writing to. And he encourages the Jesus followers there to not participate in this. He says, your fight is not against people. The, the, the phrasing that, uh, the way it's often translated into English, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities in the heavens. And, uh, and this idea that we can take today, your fight is not against people. Your fight is against systems and structures. Do not play the whole fighting people game. Play the fighting systems and structures game is I think uh, why I bring up these four interlocking forces that cause so much misery and despair, this false default American religion. This has got to be true of our project, I think, Paul's words. We've got to really take what Paul says seriously because if we're giving up false beliefs, there's going to be some combative energy that that builds in us. Like maybe you can even tell I'm a little bit like charged right now. There's some combative energy because I think there's like 
people are misusing the name of Jesus and I'm a pastor and so that makes me mad. There's combative energy here, right? You might feel you might feel trauma from your past, from your childhood. You might feel uh, uh, or like get, get in touch with things that authority figures in religious settings or authority figures that were you know parents or or uh, or other authorities in your life that said things to you and they make you feel angry now. There's going to be combative energy that is uh, that is uh, stirred up. Uh, pain, hurt, anger that gets stirred up over Lent. We need to take Paul's words seriously. Take that combative energy and direct it at systems and structures. Don't direct it at people. That won't get us what we're hoping for. We will only just further violence, whether it's physical violence or emotional violence in the world. We need to direct it at the systems and the structures, things like these four forces that uh, that uh, th that will get us uh, movement forward in trying to give up false beliefs so that we can uh, find alternative beliefs that serve us better. Um, so allow me to uh, unpack these four things so that you can feel totally free to direct all of your energy, all of your combative anger. You can direct them at these all you want. And so uh, here, here's what you can get angry at. This is what I'll, I'll tell you. First off, economism. So our lives are ruled by the demands of a global economy that rewards more, better, faster, and eats alive anyone that doesn't keep up, right? That is just the way that we live. That that dictates our workplaces. It dictates it dictates the American economy, the global economy. More than anything else, this is underpinned by something that we saw a great deal of this past week: the global military industrial complex. That it it makes the rich richer if the masses stay locked in conflict. I mean, how can we not see this going on with this Russian aggression in Ukraine? There, if there is a dominant organizing structure like across the entire globe, not just America today, in the way that religion used to be the global organizing structure. If there is one now, it's the economy. The economy is the organizing structure that we all sort of have to answer to. Economism is the global religion, and it's a religion that has no time for relationships. It has no time for forgiveness or care for the other. The only thing that it cares about is transactions and survival of the fittest. You know, Jesus almost always drew people's attention to the gray area in things, to the nuance in things. There was one thing that Jesus was extremely either or about. And I think that's important to note. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. That's about as either or as Jesus got. And it was about money. So economism, I think, is one of these powers and principalities that we've, we've got to bring our combative energy toward if we're going to leave behind false beliefs. Number two is white supremacy. Whether we choose to see it or not, white supremacy is woven into everything we experience in American life, especially religion. Again, we go back to theologian James Cone, who believed what most of uh, most of people who call themselves Christian believe in is not actually historic Christianity. It's something called white religion, and its values are perfectionism and urgency and quantity over quality and worship of the written word and the right to comfort and none of those values are consistent with the way jesus lived none of them perfectionism urgency quantity over quality worship of the written word a right to comfort none of those things have anything to do with the life of Jesus. These six beliefs that we're going to be talking about as we move into Lent are in all ways going to be pushing us away from this white religion that uh, so dominates how we just have to live our lives when we grow up or live in or spend time in America. Third, patriarchy. And importantly, 
the obsessions that feed patriarchy. So what I'm talking about is the classic ugly images of toxic masculinity, dominance, control and conquest, heteronormativity. These have become the lens through which we view God. We live in a reality where if there is an all-powerful God, we cannot help but imagine God, that all-powerful God is these things. All-powerful must mean dominant, must mean controlling, must mean disgusted by anything that doesn't fit the binaries. It's, it's got to be that. That's the only way we can imagine it today. We have to tear this down. In fact, this is going to be the first thing that we tear down during Lent. Week one is going to be on what we're calling the blueprint view of life. And what that means is that, that what all-powerful God means is a God with a meticulous blueprint that is in perfect and uh, over-domination uh, control of everything that ever happens, and therefore everything happens for a reason. Even evil, even injustice, even tragedy, all of the most horrible things in life God must be in control of. We default to this understanding because it is synonymous with the way that we understand power in our world. Patriarchy decides that when we hear all-powerful God, well, I mean, I guess that God must be, you know, in dominant and controlling force over all things. And we need to break that down because that is not serving us. Patriarchy's version of power is being called into question in wider culture. And we also must do that with the way that it dictates how we imagine who God is. Dominance and control and all of these things that they are, it, it's, a, it's all part of a greater plan. Those are not the only ways to believe in an all-powerful God. And I find those really problematic, so thank God. Uh, we are going to help you next week in particular with an experiments that will allow you to play around with alternative ways, to non-patriarchal ways to believe in an all-powerful God. And I think we're gonna be able to give you some language to help you talk about that confidently. This one is super important to me. I just, I, I'm really looking forward to next week just to to unpack a non-patriarchal vision of an all-powerful God. I really think that that's going to serve a lot of us. Finally, this last one that I have on uh, these interlocking forces uh, are is magical thinking. Um, I think that there, we just we are so inundated with magical thinking as like here is. Uh, here we are able to diagnose your real problem, you know, like every advertisement, like, I mean, even teach advertisers to be like, diagnose the problem and then, you know, present the the magical fix and why your product will save people. But we do this so much in ways that make God and prayer our mascot, right? You know, like here is the problem that you're experiencing and here is the prayer that will solve it. Here is the diet that will solve it. Here's the mindset that will solve it. Here's the product that will solve it. But when miracle fixes don't work for us, the only thing that we are left with as human beings is like, well, I must be the problem because they painted such a perfect picture. And so I must not have prayed enough or I must have prayed the wrong way or I must be uniquely broken or sinful or I must be being taught a lesson by God. I mean, talk about keeping misery in the air, right? Like we are walking around, all of us having to constantly contend with voices about how magical thinking works and we are the problem. And we, you know, then we have to turn to the left and the right and figure out what to do with our problems. I mean, we are just, it is just compounding the despair. That is not prayer. You know, magical thinking is not prayer. We are talking about a default American religion that has nothing to do with prayer as relationship, as partnership, as connection with a God who cares for us. 
this is going to come up in every week of uh, of uh, all six of the beliefs that we talk about. Magical thinking and tearing that down is behind this. So default American religion, false American religion. This is the status quo. I think it's a combination of these four forces. I'll bet all of you could also add things to this. I'll bet all of you could like, you know, tinker with these and describe them in, 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 in better ways to even expand what it is I'm saying today. But this is something that's just kind of the background reality of life when you live in America and it does not serve us. It does not serve us. If we are, if we're a person who's like relatively comfortable or we experience more societal privilege, maybe we go a few more days than the next person before the next personal reminder we get about these like misery causing forces in our lives. But eventually we all experience the reminders. We are up in the middle of the night with anxiety and we can't fall back asleep or we can't get out of bed in the morning because we feel depressive thoughts or a sudden trigger in the middle of a workday like causes us into a spiral and we like can't even realize like how did I get so angry so fast? Maybe we go an extra day or an extra day or two if we experience more privilege, but everybody experiences these eventually. And again, if we are taking our cues from Jesus, then our personal experience is not the only thing we should be paying attention to. The fact that some people systematically experience these things more than others should boil our blood. So in Lent, we are going to spend time trying to bring a sword to these things. We are not going to be bringing peace to the status quo of belief in America. We are going to be bringing a sword to that. And if I can like mix metaphors and add another one, um, the way you fight a disease is, to tr is not just by treating symptoms, right? We have to treat the causes. We have, to, we have to address what's actually going on. False default American religion is the symptoms we all experience and the six beliefs that we have selected to try and replace over Lent are what we think are some of the causes. And so again, uh, over the next uh, six weeks here at Brownline, uh, whether we're together online or whether we're together in person at the Davis, we are going to be talking about these six false beliefs and we're going to be giving them up and we're going to be trying to replace them with beliefs that serve us better. Here's an important note I would say for, we have, a, we have a quite a diverse community when it comes to religious experience and religious background. And so I wanna make a note to those of us who are less culturally religious, uh, who maybe uh, default more to the skeptic side of the believer skeptic uh, spectrum. Uh, for those of you in our community, I wanna suggest that this 40 day experiment for Lent applies to us too. Even though these six beliefs are like clothed in religious language and imagery, and those are things that we uh, you know, feel less drawn toward, I believe that these beliefs are in all of us just by virtue of being American because they're a part of the air we all breathe. And they may be what we as a skeptic choose to say no to, but by that very fact, they are part of our collective imagination. And so what I wanna suggest is that this is like, even if you feel like, oh, well, I'm not, I don't actually fall victim to any of these false beliefs. I wonder if you can consider this a, a, a chance to engage in some communal discovery and not just personal discovery. And I also encourage you to interrogate yourself because you may find that something that you have decided to reject is not actually historic Christian faith. It's just white religion. And I wonder if that shocks you in a way or opens up a new door for you that you didn't think existed. And then 
I will repeat my important note that I mentioned last week for those of us who are more comfortably religious in our community, who do have more religious experience and more religious background and are comfortable calling themselves a believer. As I said last week, we have six things on the screen here that might all grab you in some way. I'm encouraging you to select one or two to focus on because we all have limited bandwidth. And as we, again, what we were talking about last week is we have to live ourselves into new ways of thinking. We can't just like think about it and then it and then it's fixed. And so this is going to require a lot of intentionality from you. It's going to require you putting in hours and, you know, stepping back and reflecting. And all of that takes time and intentionality. If you try to do all six, you'll probably short circuit because that's just not how human beings work when it comes to change. So I would suggest that you focus on one or two for this experiment. All right, I'm gonna step off my soapbox. I hope that I wasn't too preachy, but I got excited about false American religion, not excited. I got excited about taking a sword to false American religion. And um, my hope was that this, this would kind of get us, get us in the right mindset for what it is we hope to do together over the next six weeks. Uh, well, our, our, my, my, uh, my reminders are around, around how to participate in this. Uh, we have a couple of invitations that I wanna offer you in a second here, but first off, uh, Sunday. So uh, these six uh, uh, false beliefs that are on the screen right here, uh, you, you see the dates that we're gonna be, uh, we're gonna be doing these. If, if you are drawn to one or the other, put that date in your calendar. Make sure it's, in a, it's one that you'd definitely tune in or uh, join us in the, at the Davis or uh, that you're watching after the fact if you can't be there that day uh, so that you can get the sense of like, what would it mean to experiment with something different? Each of these Sundays, we're gonna have something different. But there's also gonna be other ways to participate in uh, our whole church experiment of leaving behind uh, false beliefs. So there are two, small group experiences that I'm really excited about. We've mentioned them a couple of times, but I have some personal invitations uh, to uh, uh, for the people who are leading these groups. So first off, uh, uh, Liv Mott, who's going to be leading one of our groups, was not able to be here today, but we talked earlier this week. And so I'm going to roll a video from Liv for you all to hear from her. Hello, I'm here with Liv Mott. Liv, you Hello. are hosting a group for us uh, during Lent and why did you want to start this group? Um, I think because I need help. <laughs> good, good answer. I have come to the conclusion. Um, yeah, I think I, like a lot of people, did a lot of deconstructing of um, who God is not in college. God is not white, I learned. A novel concept. Um, God does not hate me also a novel concept. Um, but I think that I recently have been kind of like, I guess I never really developed a relationship with a God who is, I don't know who God is and I need help figuring that out. Um, and the times that I have felt the most healed and whole are when I am having a margarita with Haley Larson. So I have realized that just like a community of people is really important. Um, and that's where I felt the most comfortable. And um, I thought there might be some people at Brownline who also felt that way too. <laughs> I love this. This is an awesome plan. Um, I'm so pumped to hear stories from this. Um, what can people expect uh, if they come to one of these get-togethers? Um, I think you can just like transparency because 
I do not want to, the reason I've been afraid of church is people not being transparent. So mm. uh, full transparency would be, you probably expect a little awkwardness. We all don't know each other. We all don't know what to say. There's not a set curriculum. Um, a lot of those safety nets that like small groups and church things have had in the past that we rely on. There's just going to be us and our personalities and togetherness. So um, you can expect a little bit of awkwardness, but I think also um, just like authenticity. We'll do um, kind of like each week um, somebody will kind of take the lead. Um, I'm hoping that we can all kind of rotate that around so it's not as formal with a leader. Um, you can expect yeah, I'm hoping like kind of casual, um, comfortable, and hopefully not a lot of like evangelical language that's not allowed. Um, <laughs> that's off the table. <laughs> yes. Otherwise, not a whole lot of rules. And um, I also will be providing margaritas because that feels like we're going to deep dive here a little subversive way to say like we're bringing all of ourselves and the things that we have not been able to talk about before we can do together here with church people and we're not going to hide. So. Excellent. Excellent. This is great. And I, I hope that that, that gives people, I hope that gives people like a really good flavor uh, for flavor. Yeah, there we go. Margarita's flavor for uh, uh, yeah. The, the type of people that uh, this would be perfect for. So that's wonderful. Um, do, do you have any details on like the first time that you're getting together or is that going to be figured out uh, as a group thing to uh, tell us about that? Yeah, I think once I have, I have, I know of a, a several people who want to be involved. Um, but I think once maybe within the next couple of days after this airs, um, and we kind of have like a more solid list, um, I'm hoping at least the first meeting will be the first week of Lent, um, either March 2nd or 3rd. Um, Great. That's kind of what I'm aiming for. And then we'll just kind of discuss in um, the group chat. And then in terms of location, I think the first one, I would love to host people just because I think that's comfortable and we can wear sweatpants. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And you are, you are in Lincoln Square area. Is that right? Uh, yeah, like Wrigley. Wrigley. Got it. Okay, great. So that's what you can watch out for, everybody. Thank you, Liv. Well, I'm excited to hear about this group. Thank you, guys. Can't wait. Thanks, Vince. Great interview. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the, the second small group that we have uh, available um, is with uh, Erica McClinn, who's with me here. And, uh, and so we'll do the same uh, sort of questions so you can find out uh, about our other group. These are, these are two groups with two specific focuses. And so uh, it's going to be a little bit different. And we hope that you find, if, if you have space in your life, that, uh, that uh, one or the other of these really speaks to you as useful for you. So Erica, uh, if I can ask you, um, why, uh, why did you want to start this group? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I grew up reading the Bible. Um, and I always felt like I had a really great relationship with scripture growing up and a really good, like solid understanding of what scripture meant and what the Bible meant. Um, and that kind of fell apart for me. <laughs> uh, you understood and then you didn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and it started in high school and then further spiraled in college. 
And I think I was raised with this very strong sense of there is one way to understand the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you don't agree with that way, then you are wrong. Yes, it because that's actually, the biblical way. Exactly. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. the biblical way. Um, and, you know, you're just you're just uncomfortable with it. Um, you you are valuing culture too much. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. You've probably heard that line before. You're um, lukewarm. And so God will spit you out. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm, yep, mm-hmm, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, it, there were particularly issues um, with passages in the Bible to do with slavery, um, being someone of African American descent, um, and around sexual assault, mm. um, being a woman, um, and the abuse of um, of slave women in in the Bible and their bodies. Um, and one of the passages that particularly struck me was the story of Hagar. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went through a really long process of trying to make peace with that passage. Um, and in the process, learning and understanding not just a lot more about that passage, but about slavery in general oh, mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. um, how Bibles are translated. Um, about how part of translation is interpretation. Yes, yeah. Um, Understanding a lot more about the context um, that those stories take place in. Um, And so through that journey, um, I wanted to, you know, share that experience um, and just kind of some of the the learnings I had. Awesome. Oh, man, this is going to be so good. So um, when people uh join you for this group um how, what can they expect yeah um so you can expect uh we're gonna be reading the bible um so it's a bible study so you gotta read something there's homework so you're yeah, gonna that's... there's gonna be some homework um in total um over the the course of the group it's it's only gonna be around six to seven chapters okay. that we're actually reading um and um it like i said it's going to be over the course of there's going to be four sessions um about spaced about around two weeks apart so um it's six or seven chapters over the course of eight weeks so i'm hoping that won't be that's not too much overwhelming can handle that yeah yeah Yeah. um and then in addition to that we're also going to be reviewing some commentaries so um those commentaries are going to have to do with um you know genesis as a whole um you know the the story of hagar is occurring um it's kind of like the the origin story Mm -hmm. of the ancient israelites um and and that's kind of what genesis is serving as a as a as a tool for as well so understanding genesis um and then understanding um the story of Hagar also um, through the lens of womanist theology. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us what womanist theology is? Yeah. Yes, I can. So, um, so womanist ethics um, is pretty much um, understanding uh, ethics or culture um, through a lens that centers um, the black female experience. So. Um, in the 60s and 70s, you had uh, Black liberation thought and you had feminist thought. Um, and Black liberation thought, um, a lot of those leaders like James Cone mm-hmm. um, were men. Um, and so they were looking at um, issues 
through the perspective of liberating black people, um, but it was still with um, a bent towards the masculine. Um, and then you also had the rise of feminist thought, um, but feminist thought was still very much focused on um, kind of, you know, European American women. Um, so it did center the, the understanding of these things around um, the feminine experience, um, but that wasn't necessarily the black feminine experience. So womanist um, ethics or womanist thought um, seeks to understand those things specifically through the lens of the black female experience. Um, and womanist theology specifically um, is looking at um, the Bible and the theology that comes uh, as a part of like Christian community and, mm -hmm. and out of the Bible and out of scripture. That's a good definition. So um, details in terms of how we can how we can join. Um, this is online, right? Yes. So uh -huh. it's going to be completely online. Um, and so uh, the details for that, um, if uh, folks have already uh, expressed interest. Uh, folks have already expressed interest. Um, you're going to be getting an email from me um, sometime this week, just letting you know more of the details and the schedule and, and getting folks availability for, for when to meet. Um, I think that's the it's virtual. We'll meet around every two, every two weeks. Every two yeah. weeks, yeah. Um, hopefully there won't be too many. I want the group to be more discussion than mm -hmm. reading. Mm. Um, so apart from scripture, if there's like any kind of like supplemental things that I think may be helpful, um, I'll be like recommending things on the way, but you don't feel like you have to read that. Anything that I feel like is important, we'll, I'll just bring it to the discussion so you can have it. Um, but I do realize that a part of this whole process and, you know, I, I do want this to, to function as a way of, um, this is a story that has meant a lot for me to understand in my faith walk, but everyone has one of those stories. Hmm. So for you, hmm. it may be the story of Hagar. And that might be something be, else. Yeah. Yeah. But for, for someone else, it could be, you know, um, others, another story. Yep. And yep. so, um, I also want this to be a space where you can kind of look at the, the process um, and then be able to apply that to other stories um, in the Bible as well. So Oof, that's good. That's yeah. Good. So um, there will be some of that as well. But like I said, I don't want people to get like too bogged down in reading. So um, it will that will definitely come more in the discussion. piece. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited also to hear about stories from this one. Thank you, Erica. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, and what I'll do now, everyone, is put a uh, QR code up on the screen here. This is for these two Lent small groups that will be happening. If you are already connected with one or the other, uh, then you don't have to do anything right now. But if you are not yet connected, uh, you can take out your phone and follow that QR code and let us know which group, either with Erica or with Liv, uh, uh, that you'd like to participate in. And then for many of us, it's not going to be an option for us to participate because our life is too full right now. And that is totally cool. Again, we hope to see you on these Sundays as we're all participating in this idea of giving up beliefs, giving up false beliefs for Lent this year. All right, let me pray for us as I close. Thank you. 
God, what a gift to have a community of people to discuss these things with. As we uh, sit today in one of Jesus's more intense statements, bringing a sword to the status quo, would you stir up that combative energy and help us to do as Paul says and direct it at systems and structures not at human beings even if there are specific authority figures that come to mind for us that have hurt us help us to direct our combative energy toward the systems and the structures and the beliefs and the organizing principles that have so harmed us that have been left unchecked that we may see those people who maybe hurt us even as we can even see them as victims of the same organizing structures that hurt us. And as we stir up that combative energy and we direct it at false things that have hurt us, that have hurt other people, that hurt those around us, give us a, a wave of hope now that there are better ways to believe and there are better ways to act and there are better ways to conceive of ourselves as followers of Jesus in the 21st century that will bring light to the world, that will be salt, as Jesus says, bring flavor to all things, that will not be white religion, but will rather tap into something deep and ancient that throughout the ages has led to healing and justice, connection and peace. We wish to be a part of that. And I pray that this season would give us just that in whatever the right way for us to participate is. So for as we're all each praying here and you know, participating in this larger prayer of all these people. What is it for us uniquely, individually? What does this look like for us to participate? I pray that we would feel um, settled and ready to do so over these next uh, this next month and a half. In Jesus' name, amen.